Well, it's your average morning when Eric woke up, a good friend of mine that I met in seminary, and he's living at my house that I grew up in after I moved out and got married and needed a place to stay. And on this particular morning, he woke up, normal morning, normal routine, reading his Bible, doing a little bit of time of prayer, go in, get a shower, get breakfast, all that type of stuff, normal morning. Till the moment came up for him to look for his keys to his truck. You ever have one of those mornings where you're looking for where you put the keys? So he found his wallet. That's a good thing, right? And then he thought, well, where do I go to find these keys? So the pursuit began. He went to the closet where he had those pants that he was wearing the day before, the night before, and reached in in all four pockets, no keys. thought, well, maybe they're in their shirt pocket. So he pursued that and no keys. He went around his room, no keys. Went throughout the house, no keys. Asked around, no keys. And he thought, where in the world are the keys to my truck? Where should I go now to find them? And then it was at that very moment, that moment maybe you've had before where that sick feeling starts to come in and breakfast doesn't feel so good anymore. Because it was at this moment he began to realize his pursuit needed to go out to where his truck had been parked. Because he'd left the keys, he thought, in his truck. Only in this case, the keys were still in the ignition and the truck was still running. Ten hours before, he had parked his truck. It had been raining earlier that week, and some rain had gotten in because he had inadvertently left a window open, and so rain got in, and he thought, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll pull up, park my truck in front of the, front of the house on the street, and I'll turn the heat up full blast, leave my truck running, and then I'll come back in like, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, not 10 some hours later. You can imagine when he got there and realized, hey, my truck is still here. It's still running. It uses about an eighth of a tank of gas if you leave your truck running in front, right? And the pursuit of finding his keys and therefore his truck had brought a sense of relief, had brought an incredible sense of happiness that he still had a truck and, and it was still there. You know, as I thought about that and the pursuit of things that we pursue, as a country in the United States of America, we've been pursuing happiness since 1776. It's been a long time. If you look at our preamble of our Declaration of Independence, I put it up on a screen for you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and say it with me, the pursuit of happiness. So I have a question for you. I have a question, and it is this. After 241 years as a country, how would you say we're doing with the pursuit of happiness in this country? I see a thumbs down over there. I think that's an emoji that you could text as well. You know, I Googled this. I Googled, are Americans happy? I just thought, why don't we start there? And I got 145 million results. And that took a really long time to go through all those results. I found it as a rather important topic to a lot of people. The most recent data, according to the Harris Poll, conducted in May of this year, and they asked this question, are you happy? And here's what they found. Only 33% of the Americans surveyed said they were happy. Only 33%. The Harris Poll, which they said they've been doing this uh, survey for the past nine years, I believe, 
uh, with 18 to wherever else it goes, about 2,000 people that they surveyed. And then they wrote in the article this, the good news is, is that is that this is a 2% increase than 2016. Because when they surveyed it in 2016, only 31% said, yeah, I'm happy. And we're thankful that, hey, it's moved up 2% in 2017. We're even happier now by 2%. You know, after 241 years as a country, it's my opinion, my humble opinion, that I don't think we're doing all that well in the pursuit of happiness. After 241 years as a country, it's also my humble opinion that our pursuit of happiness has been misinformed, misunderstood, misguided, misconstrued, misemployed, misspent, mishandled, and misbegotten. It's like trying to get something that you can never seem to get a hold of. Suffice it to say there are too many of us in America too many people in the world, and dare I say, even probably a few of us, even in the church, that quite frankly, if we just said, how are you doing, you'd be, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. If I asked you, as we said last week, to text me your idea, what you think of God like, and we talked about that with my kids and the halo for the holiness of God and the heart and the eyes for the love of God, we don't often think of happy God. Uh, sometimes you might even think of God as a God who's miserable. There was a slide up here that had some emojis up there. We, we, we jumped to that. Yeah, there they are. The kind of the dis- desperation or the kind of like, oh, or the kind of just fully rolling with tears. I, I don't know where you're coming from today and what your week has been like and how the pursuit of happiness is going for you 241 years later and whatever age you are and wherever you are in life. And yet Solomon, Israel's third king, would tell us, Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. There's been a lot of people that are trying to find happiness and yet seem to struggle with it. And I think if he were here, one of the questions I would ask Solomon, one of my favorite characters of all time in the Bible, is this. I'd say, hey, hey Solomon, what can you tell us about the pursuit of happiness? And, and I don't know exactly what he would say, but my guess would be he'd say, hey, why don't you grab a Bible? And why don't you turn to my memoir that I wrote? It's called Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And this is Solomon's pursuit of happiness. But it's done in such a way that it's apart from God. Really, the theme of that book is finding meaning in life apart from God. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, one of my favorite books in Scripture because it's, I believe, very relevant to our society today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to be looking again at verses 1 through 11. Let's pray. God, we are on a pursuit oftentimes and every day to find pleasure, uh, to find happiness, to find fulfillment. And God, as we looked in the message last week, we realized that the source of true happiness is in you. That, God, you delight in your sovereignty. That, God, you delight in your glory. That, God, you delight, you are happy with your son. And you delight in creation. And, God, as we go into now this week of looking at this pursuit of happiness, Lord, we're going to look at a man who pursued a journey in life that many are on today trying to find happiness and meaning in life, trying to find significance, trying to put a smile on their face. 
but they're doing it apart from you. And God, I'm grateful that Solomon came around at the end of his life after that quest and realized it was found only in you. So God, as we read his story, his memoir, his diary, if you will, God, I pray that you'd speak to us wherever we are today in our pursuit of happiness. Guide us now, fill us with your spirit, illuminate the words before us so that we might have understanding for how to live life beyond these doors. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three kind of ways that I kind of broke this down that Solomon pursued happiness. The first way is this. Solomon pursued happiness, again, apart from God, through pleasure. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon writes this. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So what Solomon is looking back now is he's looking back on his life. And as he looks back on his life, he thinks about what he was pursuing. And what I see here is pursuing meaning in life. He's pursuing happiness. He's pursuing just to be fulfilled, to find joy. And he starts with pleasure. He pursued happiness through the pleasures of laughter. He pursued pleasures through, or happiness through the pleasure of drinking. He pursued it through Foolish behavior, it says even the word folly. It says also that he noted this as a test. He will do a test. So it wasn't just to go out for meaningless pleasure, meaningless happens. He had a purpose behind all this. He was sitting there going through this, and he still, as he says further in verse 2 or 3, he says, talked about his mind was still with him. So he had his wits about him. If you look at it through and where we are today and maybe in the years and centuries past, this sounds a lot like the hedonistic philosophy taught by Epicurus, also known as Epicureanism. What is Epicureanism? Well, Epicurus taught that through the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure, people could attain happiness. Let me read it again. Maybe you've done this. Through the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure, people could attain happiness. Solomon tried that. Solomon went after that. Solomon pursued that. Today's philosophy can be summed up as eat, drink, and be merry. Pursue it that way. And yet it appears that as of May 2017, 67% say that ain't working. That's not coming to fruition. They likely would say, nope, I tried pleasure. I'm still not happy. I think Solomon would say, I tried that too. So after pleasure, he continues this pursuit of finding happiness apart from God. And he pursues happiness through possessions. Look at verses 4 through eight. I undertook great projects, as he writes. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water uh, the groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and more flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Let's stop there. 
So he's tried pleasure. Now he says, well, let's go into the possessions I have. And when you're the king of Israel and you're the wisest man who's ever lived, you have a good shot at getting a lot of possessions. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know who the architect Sir Christopher Lynn is, but he designed and made the uh, uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London following the, the fires in the 1600s. And he built that. And he said this, if you want to see my monument, Look around. I think if Solomon was around, he could have used the same words. You want to see my monument, look around. I mean, in those verses that we just read, there's a lot there with the projects he undertook. Solomon amassed huge vineyards and gardens and groves and just amazing spectacled plantations to see. And then because water is needed, he prepared reservoirs and all that was, that was taken in to keep everything fresh and green. It's interesting, too. Since live music, the recording of live music, didn't happen until the late 1800s, the only thing you have is what's live. And he thought, hey, I'm going to possess singers, entertainers, uh, people that can act. So the theatrics was all there. And he concluded his evenings, most likely oftentimes, with one of his 700 wives or 300 concubines. As he says, the delight of men. He had all of that stuff. All of it. All these possessions. And when it came to possessions, I think Solomon could say, yep, got that. <laughs> had that. Had a lot of those. Know what that's all about. Americans, I believe, seem to be pursuing happiness through possessions as well. I researched this. A Market Watch report dated August 8th of 2017. That's not all that long ago, is it? Says we now have over $1 trillion in credit card debt. $1.021 trillion in credit card debt. But we're still not happy. Well, look at my credit card statement. Well, I get that. But even with all the possessions that you got, only 33% of the people surveyed back in May are saying, I'm happy. And yet we're in credit card debt to a trillion dollars trying to find possessions to make us happy. It's a pleasure. Possession. Solomon continues on. He pursued happiness apart from God through prestige. Look at verse 9 and 10. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. And then the first part of verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I refused my heart no possession. I would not, if you will, let my prestige be uh, in competition with another. I'm the king of Israel. Solomon became the most prestigious person of his day. He could say, he could say, I was on top of the world. If social media was around, I can't imagine the amount of friends he would have had on Facebook, the amount of followers he would have had on Twitter, the amount of likes of everything he posted in his Instagram. He would have been followed because of the prestige of him. No one's like Solomon. And then I started thinking, well, did he find any happiness in any of this pleasure, any of these possessions, in any of this prestige? And the answer is, yes, he did. Look at the rest of verse 10. He says, My heart took delight in all my works, and this was the reward of all my labor. So just in case we're wondering, 
Or you're wondering, am I saying that Solomon wasn't happy? No, he's not saying that. He actually was happy with some of the pleasure that he enjoyed, some of the possessions he had, if not all of them, and the prestige that had come his way. So I started thinking, well, what's the problem then? You've got all this stuff, and you even admit yourself by your own words that you delighted in everything. You were happy with what you had. I mean, you had no restrictions, no limitations at all, unlike me, unlike us. No credit card debt to speak of. You seem to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, an open road. Sometimes I think, I would like to be Solomon. But then what does he discover? What did Solomon discover? We wrap up this focus in this passage in verse 11. Yet, or but, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Wait a minute. <laughs> you mean you had all the pleasure, all the possessions, all the prestige, and you come to this conclusion? You said you were happy, though. You delighted in all that you had done, and you surveyed it all and everything that you had achieved, and you determined it was a vanity, a chasing after the wind, that there was nothing to be gained? How do you come to that? It's because he's writing and reflecting on his life that he pursued to try and find meaning and fulfillment and happiness in apart from God. The source of happiness, the source of fulfillment, the source of where we can actually have meaning and light. Solomon's pursuit of happiness apart from God didn't have a happy ending like so many of our movies and TV shows have or the Christmas movies coming up on the Hallmark Channel that you ladies all watch and thus men go, well, I'll just go to the other room. Why is this? It's because true happiness is not found apart from God. God is the source of true happiness. Solomon, near the end of his life, learned this lesson too. And Ecclesiastes is his memoir, looking back on it, and he goes, I chased it all. I pursued all that. And in the end, it was like I was chasing the wind. It was meaningless. It wasn't fulfilling. So what did Solomon conclude then at the end of his life? Uh, turn over a few chapters to chapter 12. One of my favorite verses, really a life verse for me. I think it's even on our website and next to my mug uh, on our webpage for our staff. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. What did Solomon conclude? Here's the answer. Verse 13. Now... All has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In other words, what Solomon is saying is pursue God and follow him. More than the pursuit of pleasure, more than the pursuit of pleasure, uh, possessions, more than the pursuit of prestige, pursue God. Fear God. Have a reverence for God. Go in all in on your relationship with God and follow what he says. Why? Because happiness, true happiness, is only found in a relationship with God. Years later, the old tradition became this from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. 
The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. These men got together and put this out for us in this catechism, the shorter version of it. They said, well, what are we supposed to, I mean, what do you boil it down to? What is life supposed to be about for you and for me? Well, it's a mirror of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. To know God, to have a reverence for God, and to enjoy him, to follow what he says. So if you really want to be happy, then your pursuit must be God himself. Not prestige, not pleasure, not possessions. It must be God himself. To know him day by day, better and better and better. Continually, a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson named his book. So what does that look like day to day, day in and day out, day after day? I'm going to give you four ways on how to go about pursuing happiness and pursuing it in God. Because we, as we saw last week, he's the source of all happiness. So here they are. Since the God is the source of Christian happiness in Christ, it's where this happiness comes from, pursue him by releasing him. Embrace his sovereignty. Releasing God to be God. Embracing his sovereignty, that he's in control of everything there is. Everything that's going on in my life, ultimately, he's in control. Releasing him, consciously going, God, when I wake up in the morning in my prayer time, I'm going, God, this is your day that you have made. I will rejoice in it. It is you, God, and releasing him. What does this require? Well, I looked at this and thought about this. Here's some, here's some guidelines that's going to be required. It's going to require humility to do that. Something I always love going towards. Oh, I want to be humble. Psalm 25, 9 puts it this way. He guides the humble. God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. It's going to require you to give and get the right perspective, the right thinking, if you will, to release God. Romans eleven thirty six 36 puts it this way. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God, to him, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's having that perspective, that thinking, being humble, having this perspective, a righteous perspective. It means submitting your will to his will. James 4, 13 through 15 puts it this way. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. James writes, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, in other words, releasing God, we will live and do this or that. We will embrace his sovereignty. I don't know for you, but if you were to stop and think about where is it challenging for you to release God to be God, to embrace his sovereignty? Is it with your finances? Is it with a relationship in your family? Maybe it's with failures. I don't know where it's coming from or what you might think of that goes, man, I don't know. I kind of want to control this part myself, God. I'll go to you after I've maybe learned a lesson or two that, oh, maybe I should have released you in control of you to do what you want. You know, Sometimes you think, oh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I've released God. I'm in good shape that way. I'm letting God be God. I'm not trying to play God. 
And then, as you might have seen up on the slide and know, in the last uh, several weeks, we've had this uh, class entitled Life's Healing Choices. So I'm in there, a couple of us are in there from our church here, and session one is entitled Admitting Need, the Reality Choice, I Realize I'm Not God. And then as we get into the small group discussion, I realize, and I'm humbled to discover that one of the consequences of playing God is frustration. A loss of happiness. Guess what my wife had told me she had noticed in me? And I went, wait a minute. That can't possibly be from me playing God. I'm a pastor. I know better than that. I've been a Christian a long time. I know better than that. Friends, I don't know where it is in life for you that you struggle to release God and let God be God. And go, I can't. I, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. i got to let you do what you desire. If I'm on a pursuit for happiness, if I'm on a pursuit for knowing you, I've got to release you to be you. Solomon learned that at the end of his life. Another way to do this is pursue him by exalting him, glorifying him in all you do. Exalting God, glorifying him in, how, in all you do. How do you do this? By worshiping him. We already did this this morning. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Every week we have this opportunity to pursue God through worship and song. At the last chorus of the last song that we had this morning, I stopped singing. And the reason I did that is because I love to stop, kind of turn my ear, and hear all of you. You know why? Because it makes me happy. You're good singers. It's not to say that you should sign up for choir, but maybe you should talk to Allegra about that one. I don't know. But I'm just saying worshiping him, there's, there's an enjoyment with that, exalting him. Another way to do this is by being filled with his spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. We know when we've seen somebody who's filled with alcohol, right, and how they behave. A number of years ago, I was at a USC football game in, in the alumni section, and some guys came and sat down because in those days they were blowouts, and it was great. And we're sitting there, and this guy comes over and jumps in, and next thing I know, twice he falls into my lap. My wife is seven and a half months pregnant, and as precious as she is, she was all baby, right? And I'm thinking a little, I'm a little frustrated at this point. Long story that I could really make on that for all that happened in, the, in all the conversations and everything that I went through. Finally, the LAPD comes and says, who is it? By that time, about 25 people turned around and said, that guy. There was no doubt to anybody's mind in that area who the guy was that was filled with alcohol. I wonder, it's been convicting for me for years since that. To think, it, could I seek God so much that I'm filled with this spirit, overflowing so much in happiness, that people go, hey, who's filled with the spirit? Who's really happy? That guy. That guy is. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. That's this idea. Exalting him, glorifying him in all you do. Another way is by doing everything for his pleasure. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Give me thanks to God the Father through him. I love Eric Liddell's story of 1924 Olympic sprinter who said this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that. 
what skill, what ability, what opportunity do you have, what maybe spiritual gifting do you have or ministry that you're involved in has God given you that you can use for his glory and actually feel that pleasure that he is willing to give you. In this pursuit of happiness, in the pursuit of doing that, I believe exalting him, glorifying him by worshiping him, by being filled with the spirit, by doing everything for his pleasure can bring this about for us. The third way that Solomon, I think, would find too and agree with, since God is the source of Christian happiness, pursue him by obeying him. In other words, listen to his son. Why? Well, this is our Heavenly Father's command. In Matthew 17, 5, he says this, While he was still speaking, this was Peter, the Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son with whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Earlier this week, um, I asked Emerson, I said, Hey, Emerson, I need to install a new starter on my truck. Do you want to come help me? Yeah, Dad. You know how great it was to have someone follow your instructions? I know that this tool, know that tool, no, could you hold this? Could, no, could you tighten that? Whatever it was he was willing completely to do, he said no to nothing. I wonder, am I like that? To my Heavenly Father's Son, do I listen to him that way? Because that's a way I can make him happy, and it's a way I could be happy. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, this is our chief end of why we should obey him and listen to him. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This sums up. This is the whole duty of man. Unlike Solomon, did you know that you don't have to wait until the end of your life to pursue happiness? That you could actually be happy sooner or to experience that? You can. And I want to say also that this is our proof of our love for him and obeying him. John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. A regular prayer of mine, I don't know that I pray it every day, but pretty regularly I'll say, Jesus, I love you. And I pray that I show, it, show that by how I live my life today. Because I can talk a good talk. But to actually live it out and say, God, I want to show you that I actually do love you. That I am seeking to obey you. That I really want to pursue you. And that as if I do, I actually might be happy in the end. So since God is the source of Christian happiness, pursue him by releasing him, exalting him, obeying him. And the last one is enjoying him. Delight yourself in him. Delight yourself in the Lord by enjoying him. The Bible commands us, we looked at this last week, Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, how? Well, let me give you some ways. Delight yourself in him through his word. Psalm 19, 8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy, happiness to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. How else can you enjoy him? Delight yourself in him through prayer. John 16, 24 says, Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. There will be happiness as a result of that. Another way of enjoying him, delighting yourself in him, is delight yourself in him through his church. In Acts 2, 46, 47, the first century church, we have a description of what was going on in their lives. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, 
with happy and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all his people. Delighting yourself in God. Delighting yourself in his word. Delighting yourself in prayer. Delighting yourself in the community of believers. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like our life groups here at Grace Hills. That's why we want you to be in there and being in a group because we're happier when we do this together because life is better together. So let me conclude with a what-if question. What if the pursuit of happiness was actually the pursuit of Christ? What if the pursuit of happiness was actually the pursuit of Christ? What if the pursuit of Christ was actually the pursuit of happiness? Can you imagine that? I, I don't know if you've recently lost your keys, but I guarantee you, you pursued to find them. We all would. We all do. And yet it seems so obvious at times, like, of course that's where I left them. But isn't it easy to forget such an obvious reality? That the pursuit of happiness was actually the pursuit of Christ? And so I want to challenge you like a keen ignition to daily turn your life over to the Lord by embracing him, by exalting him, by releasing him, by obeying him, by enjoying him. Because I believe if you do, if we do as a church, we'll be on to the road to a happy life in Christ. God, we need your help with this. This is something that doesn't always come naturally for us because like Solomon, we want to pursue life apart from you. We want to try and find meaning and significance in life apart from you. And, and God, so I pray that for each of us here today, or as we looked at last week, we know that you are the source of our happiness. God, it's only in you, in relationship with you, Christ. So I pray, God, for us and where we are today, that this would just be a reminder and encouragement to us, God, that we can be happy, that we can find happiness. But God, it's going to be in you. It's going to be in you by releasing you, by exalting you, by obeying you, by enjoying you. God, if there's somebody here today who's never come to the full pursuit and ended with giving their lives over to you into a relationship, God, I pray that they might do that today by simply just saying, Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior, save me, a sinner. I want to know you. I want my sins forgiven. I, I want to be happy. God, that's found only in a relationship with you. If that's a desire of your heart today, you desire to know Jesus. You're not sure where you are in your walk with God. I'd love to talk to you, Pastor Matt, Pastor Mike, just to guide you in that pursuit. God, thank you that you are a happy God. May we pursue you with all of our being for your honor and your glory so that we can live a happy life. In Jesus' name, amen.